In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the entire Roman world should be censused. This was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Luke gives us those details. What we know about Luke is that Luke was a doctor, a physician. But many people also say that Luke is a historian, and so that's why Luke throws in these historical details about what's going on with the emperor and who the governor is of Syria at the time. Me, I've thought about this as I've read the story over again, and I think Luke is less a physician here, not so much of a historian here, but rather he's like a proud parent. One of the ways to look at Luke chapter 2 and read it is it's like a baby book. Any of you have baby books for your children? They may not do them quite as much now the same way they do them online, I suppose. But with our three children, we went to the store and bought a big book. And in the baby book, there were several things that were always listed. It always had a list of who the visitors were, who came to see the baby. And Luke's got this. Well, there were shepherds that came. And there were wise men that came, and the angels didn't come, but they sent greetings through the shepherds. And then we also had a list, or maybe two or three, depending on how many showers you had, of who brought gifts and, and what they brought. And, and Luke lists that. He says, well, there were gifts that were brought. There was gold and frankincense and myrrh. I'm, I'm not sure who brought what. It sort of reminds me of the Family Guy Christmas show a while back when it showed the three wise men on their way to Bethlehem, and one of them said to the other two, what did you bring the baby? And he pulls out this bar of gold, and and the other wise men said, wait a minute, I thought we had a $5 limit. Well, it's hard to know who brought what, but there's there's a listing of gifts. There's a listing of in one of our baby books that has, what's the top song on the charts? The day, the week, your child was born, and, and it lists even the top song. It's glory to God in the highest heaven. As we learned a few weeks ago on Sunday, that was a song that they sang during the festival of, uh, of tents, or Sukkoth. So it was a popular song that everybody knew. And then in ours, one of our children was born uh, the night that Michael Jordan put away the Utah Jazz in the NBA Finals. And so we listed that. So another uh, page always has, who are the popular people at the time? Well, there's Quirinius. He's, he's governor of Syria. And then, of course, on one of our pages, it's what's going on in the world. Was, was one country invaded or what's happening in the world? And, and we get that in the baby book, too. Well, what's happening is there's a census being taken of the entire Roman world. And then in one of the books that our children has that has a place for who's the president the time the child was born. And we get that information too. Well, well, the ruler, his name is Caesar Augustus. It's got all the makings of a baby book. A couple problems, though, with a baby book. First one is this. Baby books never change anybody's lives. When you go look at some other family's baby book, you might find it cute. You might find it interesting, but it really doesn't have much effect on you at all. And so when you come on Christmas Eve and you hear Luke's baby book, you kind of walk out and say, well, that was nice. The other problem is baby books don't take seriously often that babies grow up. And Luke wants you to know not so much about this baby. He just wants to get the story started. Luke wants to tell you about this baby who grew up to become a king You see, if Jesus is always a baby for you, you're going to be spiritually stunted. 
you're going to miss a large part of the faith. Quite frankly, you're going to end up like Ricky Bobby. Do you remember Ricky Bobby at the holiday meal in Talladega Nights? He's, he's, he's saying the prayer. It's his turn. And so he says, oh, tiny little infant baby Jesus, in your tiny little infant manger, watching your little baby Einstein developmental videos, please use some of your tiny baby infant superpowers and help me win the race. And his wife chastises him, says, you, chastises him, said, you can't pray to the baby Jesus. And he said, I can. I like the Christmas Jesus. He makes me feel good. He said, if you want to pray to the teenage Jesus or the bearded Jesus, you go ahead. But I'm going to pray to the baby Jesus. Well, one hopes for each of us here that our spirituality is going to be at least a step past Ricky Bobby. But it won't get there. If we just treat this like a baby story in a baby book, it's no baby story. There's nothing very cute about this story at all. Caesar Augustus is mentioned in the story, and he is no minor historical footnote. It's interesting to note that Caesar Augustus is called by his title. He is not called by his name. The real name of Augustus Caesar, Caesar Augustus, was this. His name was Octavius Gaius Julius Caesar. That was his whole name. He had been adopted by his uncle, Julius Caesar, and they'd gotten his name. But Luke doesn't bother with that. Luke uses his official title, Caesar, which means he claims to rule the world. Augustus, which means he claims to rule religion as well. He claims to be God. That's all Luke wants us to know about him, not his name. Now, last time we ran into a baby being born and we weren't told his name, it was a long time ago. The baby's name was Moses, but we're not told the king's name. The Caesar back then was called Pharaoh. And it's interesting, to this day, we're still not sure who was the Pharaoh of Moses' day because the Bible didn't bother to give us his name. Well, we all know what happened to Pharaoh. He lost his firstborn son. He lost a part of his kingdom and a large part of his workforce. And now you get a clue as to what's going to happen to Augustus Caesar. Because just like Pharaoh, Caesar is claiming to be God, the one true God. In 7 BCE, which is just a short time before the birth of Jesus, the Senate proclaimed that Augustus Caesar was perfect, that he was the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the, forgivers of, the forgiver of sins, and, quote, the coming one. The coming one was something they picked up from the Jews. That was the title they gave to the Messiah. That's why John the Baptist asked from prison, are you the coming one to Jesus? He's asking him, are you the Messiah? You were not allowed, by the way, to use the term good news in connection with anybody in the Roman Empire except the emperor himself. This is what he claimed. He was the son of God because he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, who was thought by everyone in the Roman Empire to be God, because allegedly people saw him ascend to heaven after his assassination. Here he was, son of God, ruler of rulers, who said of himself, Augustus Caesar said, my job, my task is to rule all the peoples of the earth. Nothing cute about that. It says basically there are two people on the planet at the same time and they both claim to be king. It's not that Augustus Caesar is some sort of historical footnote to help us know when Jesus was born or when Herod ruled. 
It's much more than that because Luke knows what Caesar stands for. He stands for anything opposed to Jesus being king and God. It's not just a neutral factor. John Ortberg talks about the San Francisco Chronicle had a cartoon a few years back. It was about two atheists who were going door to door passing out pamphlets. And they get to one house and the guy looks at his pamphlet and says, hey, it's blank. And they replied, well, yeah, we're atheists. And there's a sense in which we think that that's what this is. Augustus Caesar is just a blank page, and Jesus is a full page. But that's not it. Caesar doesn't claim to say there is no God. Caesar claims to say that he is God. And every time someone sets themselves up as God, as opposed to the true God in the Scripture, things start to happen to them. Pharaoh loses his firstborn. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, one day looked out and said, man, this is some empire I've created. Look at all the stuff that I accomplished by myself. A short time later, he had taken leave of his senses, and he was out grazing in the grass with the sheep and the cattle for six years. Another king came along. His name was Herod Antipas. He was Herod's son. And one day people came to butter him up and flatter him in Acts 12 and they said, you are just like God when you speak. And he kind of just took it in. Didn't bother to stop them. The Bible tells us that he died shortly thereafter and his body was eaten by worms. A fact, by the way, confirmed outside the Bible by Josephus. And then there's Nero. Luke surely knows about Nero when he writes Acts and Luke. Nero claimed to be God, arrested Peter and Paul, put them to death. A short time afterwards, Nero goes completely uh, in the dark funk and kills himself. Anytime someone sets themselves up to be God, there's going to be trouble. And Luke is just painting the picture for us. Here's somebody who claims to be God, and here's the real God. This is no baby book. Friends, if you look at Luke 2 appropriately, this is December 8, 1941. This is a declaration of war. Every Christmas is essentially a choice that says, will you worship Jesus as the king of the universe? Are you going to worship some other God? Are you going to follow the way that Jesus goes? Are you going to follow some other way that promises peace, justice, happiness, fulfillment, all the things that Caesar himself promised and delivered on a lot of them? Which way are you going to go? And I just have to be honest with you this evening. There are a lot of smart people who go another way other than Jesus. And I don't just mean atheists. There's, there's a number of them and that are very bright. You know, you've probably read some of their stuff. Harris, Dawkins, Hitchens. Pretty bright people going another way. But there are also MDs, PhDs, MBAs, mothers who can get four kids ready for school, who all choose another way who are very bright. And they will look and turn to something else to give them meaning and fulfillment. They will choose another way. And they're pretty smart people. But it reminds me about uh, the world's smartest man. You probably heard about him. He was on an airplane with a Boy Scout and a pilot. And the engines went out and the plane was going down. So the pilot and the Boy Scout and the world's smartest man to get together. And unfortunately, there's only two parachutes. So the world's smartest man says, I'm the smartest man in the world. I have a responsibility to the world to survive. And so he, he takes one and jumps out. 
So the pilot looks at the Boy Scout and goes into a kind of a lengthy explanation about how he's had a pretty good life and he's had a long life. And the Boy Scout's got his whole life ahead of him, so why don't you take the other one and I'll stay. And the Boy Scout said, relax, Captain. The world's smartest man just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. There are a lot of people who think they're smart enough to make their own way. But when trouble comes, what kind of landing will they get? They found their own way in the stock market. What kind of landing did they get? They thought that their position at work would give them what they needed in life. When they were downsized, what kind of landing did they have? When they thought they had found the one person in life whose friendship or uh, whose hand in marriage would give them everything they ever wanted or needed. And that relationship began to struggle. How was their landing? There are a lot of smart people. Smart as Caesar. Smart as Pharaoh. Smart as Herod. Who chose another way. How safe was their landing? There was a 17th century mathematician and philosopher you've heard me talk about before, Blaise Pascal. And basically, Pascal is credited with something known as Pascal's gamble or Pascal's wager. And he said this, he said, you know, we really don't have complete proof of the existence of the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't have it, we never will. He said, so our life really comes down to one big roll of the dice, one big gamble. Will we gamble that Jesus is who he said he was, or will we gamble that he's not? Let's say we gamble that Jesus is who he said he was, and it turns out not to be so. And there is no God. And you end up in the dirt. Pascal says, what have you lost? You've lived a life of serving others, seeking after peace and joy. What have you lost? But let's say you roll the dice and you say, I don't think there is a God. I don't think Jesus is who he says he is. I think Caesar gives me what I need. And what if you're wrong there? Pascal says, then you have lost everything. Not this, just this life, but the life to come. You simply won't be able to land at all. All things considered, said Pascal, betting on the existence of the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is just a better bet. So we look at Luke 2, and it might be a baby book. It might be a cute story. But it's really, I think, about a choice that comes to every person. Who do you think is king? Who do you think will give you life now and life then? I don't think anybody that comes over to our house and looks at our baby books finds their life changed in some appreciable way. But I have to tell you, because of those three babies that were in the book, our life has changed. Because we took them in and kept them in. And we had some times of struggle and some times of sacrifice and a lot of time of joy. But there's a whole lot of difference between just reading about them and looking at them in a book and living with them every day. Christmas isn't about looking at pictures of Jesus. It's about whether or not you believe he is the way, the truth, and the life, and whether you will take him home to live with you.